Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ijanoclast. I'm your host, John A. Lancaster. For this episode, I'm going to be giving my take on rights. Seeing as though the first presidential debate has concluded, and the American people have gotten an earful of political rhetoric centered around what ought to be the case for the public and what some groups should have, I believe this is a fitting topic. Now, during the presidential debate, the topic of rights came up frequently. There was talk of women's rights, the right of the president in in choosing a Supreme Court justice, the right of the public to have a say in politics, entitlements regarding health care, etc., etc. This kind of language regarding rights is frequently used in the political arena, yet the nature of a right is rarely, if ever, brought up. Practically every policy which seeks to provide a certain group with a particular benefit is passively assumed as a right, without any consideration of whether or not the government is intrinsically beholden to grant that privilege at all. This distinction may not strike some people as important, especially considering the moral and utilitarian justifications for redistributive policies. That's in part due to the problem of not classifying rights lying within the realm of implications, not justifications. It takes a bit of foresight to discern the issues. For example, let's say that sexual intercourse was arbitrarily designated as a right. A decent amount of people would likely see no problem with this. Those in favor of sexual liberation, marriage consummation, child conceiving, and generally any socially accepted sexual act may not balk at this designation since they would view intercourse as a rightful act according to their personal justifications. But if intercourse were a right, that would mean individuals were entitled to it. So in the event that someone was to deny a person intercourse, this would be a scenario where one individual was denying what another individual was due or entitled to. Keeping with this example, say the denied individual raped the other person, the denier. Given that sexual intercourse was designated as a right without explicit context, the rapist would simply be claiming an entitlement. I understand that that may be a difficult pill for many of you to swallow, but this is the disturbing and monstrous act that would be sanctioned by what may appear to be a harmless rights classification. Without contextualizing rights, people may be unwittingly subjecting others to oppression in the name of some noble purpose. To prevent this from happening, a clear, consistent, and impartial definition of rights is paramount. I've mentioned rights before in several of my essays, the latest being mask mandates, responsibility, and cronyism. So for those of you who are familiar with that essay, or the other essays where I provide a construction of rights, this will be a refresher. Anyhow, first off, 
There needs to be some groundwork from which a conception of rights shall be built. There are many different theories pertaining to where rights come from. Discussing these theories in detail would be lengthy enough to warrant several podcast episodes, so I will simply mention that the most common explanation for the origin of rights have been divine installation, inborn reasoning, inborn characteristics, and the state. For anyone interested in a concise history of rights, I suggest a talk by the Mises Institute historian Tom Woods titled, Where Do Rights Come From? Which is episode 969 on his podcast, The Tom Woods Show. Anyway, the acclaimed economist Walter E. Williams provided a brief and solid foundation for rights in his Rights versus Wish article back in 2016. I quote, In the standard historical usage of the term, a right is something that exists simultaneously among people. As such, a right imposes no obligation on another. For example, the right to free speech is something we all possess. My right to free speech imposes no obligation upon another except that of non-interference. Similarly, I have a right to travel freely. Again, that right imposes no obligation upon another except that of non-interference. Unquote. With that foundation in mind, I construct the meaning of rights as privileges inherent to individual existence. That is, rights are the benefits we receive from being able to control our own bodies. For example, humans have a right to opinions, since an opinion is comprised of thoughts and feelings generated by one's own mind. Expression and speech are also rights because they originate within the individual's personal vessel, i.e. the body. Since these abilities are intrinsic to human existence and controlled solely by the individual, it is impossible for them to be directed in a telekinetic manner. What humans can do is control the circumstances surrounding an individual, forcing said individual to make a choice they wouldn't have otherwise made. But this does not qualify as controlling another's bodily function. Therefore, the use of one's personal vessel is strictly one's own privilege and no one else's. When extended into the realm of human contact, rights must be expressed through voluntary exchange. Any exchange that is not the product of consent necessarily entails an entity seizing use of facilities outside the entity's personal vessel which they have no right to do, and would be an act of theft. If two individuals exchange goods that each has obtained in the absence of theft, then they are participating in an action that is purely the result of each participant using their personal vessel in a way that generates a mutually fit outcome. 
A person who uses their body to steal would not be engaging in a rightful act, although the thief would be controlling his own body, thus using the bodily functions he is privileged to control. He does not have a right to anyone else's belongings, since they are not a function of the thief's own body. The thief, perhaps, could be able to spy, wander, and sneak, since those actions involve the use of his own body, but when it comes to taking possession of entities outside himself, he has entered a realm where his rights are only extended by others using their rights. Now that a clear conception of rights is at hand, the talking points concerning rights during the presidential election can be brought into scrutiny. It's plain to see that the current political establishment is not concerned with the rights of citizens, but what privileges the government shall allot in the mere name of rights. Political officials mandating health care services or socially engineering different groups according to some chosen metric of equality does not ensure citizens receive what they are due or entitled to. It ensures that one group of citizens will be coerced into providing for another group through either 1. Curtailing the individual's right to voluntarily disassociate from someone, 2. The confiscation of wealth, i.e. taxation, or 3. A combination of the last two mentioned methods. From this lens, the public voting on which set of government-mandated privileges will be pursued is essentially groups of citizens using their voting power to barter against other groups with office candidates who haggle with rights for political power. That's it for this episode of the Ijanoclast. The relevant links are in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help out by leaving a like, sharing the Ijanoclast on social media, and spreading the word. I also write essays and poems and curate interesting videos on my website, johnalancaster.com. The directory to my work can be found on my site's links page. Thank you for listening. God bless.